Okay, let's play a quick game. Mm-hmm. Um, I say something and you translate it like a psychologist. You ready? Oh, golly. Avoid all shudders. <laughs> uh, what does it mean to avoid shudders? First of all, it's probably impossible to avoid shudders, but it means to avoid people who are telling you what to do. For you, there's no right way and wrong way except the ones that you determine for yourself. Do it your way. Yeah. And any shudders that come along, it's my way or the highway for you. Those shudders are shit. <gasps> See, you said the unsayable word. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel? Do you feel? It is time for advice for mom, and I am your ever-excited host, Rebecca. Usually on this show, we take a letter from a listener like you, and then my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman, answers that letter and teaches us all a little bit more about the wild and wonderful world of mental health. (laughs) Okay, today we are keeping that wild and wonderful part. I promise I won't laugh like that anymore. But we are not starting with a letter. Today... We are getting literary. (laughs) Mom, what if we kicked off today's episode with a poem? I think that's a great idea. Is it possible that you think this is a great idea because this is a poem that you sent me and said, this poem's so amazing, we should do it on the show? Yes, that's part of it. But the the other part is that you came up with a nice little structure for us to use. Yes, thank you for bringing up the structure. Um... I've always said structure is the corset for any episode, actually, on that note. First listeners, you will hear some poetry read by moi. Then you will hear Mama B, PhD, apply her 35 years of experience to bring psychological insight and reach poetic justice. And then, as always, I will give her a hard time, as is my daughterly duty in a special edition of Poetic Pickleball. And then, not to be upstaged, Mama B, the mental health MacGyver that she is, will use only a poem and some easily Wikipediable historical details to provide us fresh insight on one of the world's most perplexing people. So, corral your couplets for a poetic episode of advice from mum. Uh, don't forget, even though I have a poetry minor, which I'm quite proud of, this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological or poetic condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional or at least a poetry professor. The poem is called Children Learn What They Live by Dorothy Law Nolt, Ph.D., If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be apprehensive. 
If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. If children live with ridicule, they learn to feel shy. If children live with jealousy, they learn to feel envy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn to feel confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn patience. If children live with praise, they learn appreciation. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with recognition, they learn it is good to have a goal. If children live with sharing, they learn generosity. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with fairness, they learn justice. If children live with kindness and consideration, they learn respect. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and in those about them. If children live with friendliness, they learn the world is a nice place in which to live. So that's the poem. And here's some poetic analysis from Mama B. It's lovely. It's a very spiritual poem, I think. Very nice. You, you read it beautifully. Thanks. You know, I'm, I'm kind of bad at reading. Well, you used to be bad at reading, maybe. Mm. Anyways, this is not about that. It was part of what happened to you um, with certain teachers. They were not very supportive. Yeah. <laughs> it, it left a mark. Yeah. That's my kind of one-liner on this poem. To summarize it, basically, we give back as adults what we got as kids. I think this poem can let us off the hook. What I mean by that is that it can explain where those feelings, the negative feelings or the upsetting feelings come from. They come from experiences that we've had when we were very young. So in that way, I think the poem could be helpful because it gives us a way of defending ourselves against any negative thoughts. Um, so Dr. Daniel Amen the famous neuroscientist, psychiatrist, brain imaging expert. He says it's those automatic negative thoughts, which he calls ants, that are the root of your stress. And so the goal of the work that he suggests, it's not pie in the sky. It's just positive thinking. Sometimes when a client asks me, why am I shy, for example, it gives me a chance to ask questions about their childhood because why is not a, a, an especially important concept to help the client change, but so many people are wanting to know. And part of the reason why people are shy as adults may very well be that they faced ridicule as children. One of the pieces of data has come out in recent years is data on what happens to an adult who comes from a family in which there has been a divorce. It's not the divorce that damages the child as an adult. It's not if the parents decide to stay together for the sake of the children, which is a pretty common idea. 
if the child is exposed to conflict and tension between the parents as an adult, that's what does the damage. The connection between childhood experience and adult is something that they're just really starting to look at. The poem gives us insights about how critical the baby's experience is. And the paradox is that we almost never remember this time in our lives. And in a way, this poem covers all of child development. You can say you heard it here first, listeners. That is the sound of a poem covering all of childhood development as translated through a podcast. I need a breather. How about you? How about a word from a sponsor that covers all of your needs for your wedding registry? Zola. 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 You and your boo are getting married. Wedding planning can get harried, but don't let the stress affect your chemistry. Zola can give you a free wedding website, help you out with save the date invites, and make you a beautiful wedding registry. Get ready for these. Guess what Brian and I use for our rock opera wedding registry? Zola. So I can attest to its beautiful easiness, its free shipping and returns, and its matchy, matchy, price matchy. That's right. Before I was Becky from the pod, I was one half of the Zola account, Singers in Love. Brian and I put everything we dreamed of on that registry, from a robot to vacuum our apartment to a poster of Elvis on a moped. And you know what we now have? Both of those things. Join us and the 500,000 other couples who have already used Zola. To start your free wedding website and registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash pickleball. That is Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com slash pickleball. And start your free wedding website and registry today. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for mother-daughter pickleball. From the Poets' Corner. Okay, I got to be honest. I did not think you were going to take it in this way. I I thought that, um, I kind of thought you sent me this poem because I've been talking a lot about my desires to become a mom in the near future, and <laughs> you wanted to do an episode about parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. honestly took this as like, this is a reminder. You must create a beautiful environment for your child to grow up happy. <laughs> I felt like this poem had like a serious case of the shoulds. But now that I hear your interpretation of it, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess everybody was a child once. Yes, it makes it pretty universal. Yeah, and I don't think that this is a terrific poem to give to a person who's... um planning to be a parent. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you had a little bit wrong impression of it because pe- people who are anticipating having a child, especially a first child, are already scared out of their minds. You're telling me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd much prefer that because um, hearing your interpretation, I'm like, okay, well, this almost, this like gets at the root of so many listener questions we get. 
You know, even if people don't talk about their childhood, of course it's going to influence them. Yes. But I guess I don't understand what you were saying about the why not being important, because isn't that how you get unstuck? Well, that's a very good question, um, but I don't think so, because the why does not help us to solve the problem. The new way of thinking about it is much more based on how can I make things better? Mm. And the mm-hmm. why, it might be interesting, it might be fascinating. Uh, it's not always necessarily the key to feeling better, although that is a Freudian notion that you have to figure out why. And that that will somehow unlock you once you figure out the why. Yes. Or then you need another 10 years of therapy. <laughs> so you need another 10 years of psychoanalysis. I right, say. so that your therapist can buy a boat. We know how Mama B feels about therapists buying boats. I have probably have a somewhat negative view, but it's a sincere view. Cool. I mean, this is really good. Do you do you have more examples you want to give? Are you a mind reader? Um, No. Uh. -uh. I just play one on a podcast. (laughs) As a kid, I had three hospitalizations. uh, One when I was five years old. One when I was eleven. And then again, another one at 18. My mother couldn't come because she had a whole bunch of other kids. I was desperately lonely. And there was, there, it's not like today in a hospital, there's all kinds of activities and they got you walking in the halls. At that time, you were just in the bed and that was it. So that loneliness during that hospital stay translated to me being very desperate to find a husband when I was in college and and to some extent afterward. That's so sad. Um, Well, not anymore. (laughs) Okay, I won't be sad about it anymore. Yeah, I don't know that you've ever heard that one. No, I haven't. Well, look what I did. I, I went through the loneliness and the sadness and thinking I needed a husband to make me happy, and I figured out that I can make myself happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good news. So I'm going to go to a little bit of a touchy area here. All right. Caution tape this area off because Mama B is about to MacGyver this poem into some political insight. Many of us are speculating, and there's much speculation in the world, I think, these days, about what kinds of precursors have occurred in Donald Trump's life. So we're curious about his childhood. He was very strongly influenced by the minister at their church when he was a young man, and that minister was Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote the very popular book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Hmm. He's just going to punch through everything to get what he once in a positive way, at least in his mind, it's positive. So many people are asking, what makes somebody act the way he acts? His mother almost died after she gave birth to the youngest brother in the family. And so the speculation is that uh, Donald probably internalized that experience. Um, And he was two and a half years old, so he was very young. If there is a disruption in the connection between the parent, especially the mother, it would have an impact on our sense of self, on our sense of security, and our sense of confidence. I mean, you're saying the why isn't important, but you're giving us a lot of why here. 
Well, I'm saying that the why is not important to change things. In other words, people come into therapy or people read self-help books or whatever it is, usually because they want to make a change. On the other hand, many times they just find out how difficult it is to make a change and they give it up. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about here is analysis of what went before. And people are curious, like, what would, you know, we have very few people who act in that sort of extreme way. So what would what would be the childhood antecedents? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see him as being someone who wants to change. No, I, I think you're right on that one. <laughs> I uh, think he just wants the whole world to change. That's right. Him. That's right. That's right. And that's what he learned to do, too. Well, thank you for that MacGyver moment, Mom. I have a little bit of history to add myself which is about this poem, Mm -hmm. that it was published in 1954. Sort of a classic poem. And I guess uh, to further support my uh, notion that this was kind of a shitty poem about how to rear children, it actually was distributed to millions of new parents by the makers of a baby formula. Oh, yes. Oh, So I don't mean to use history to be like, bam, I was right. It's a shudder. <laughs> and like in the 1950s, baby formula was like way more popular than breast milk, right? Oh, absolutely. Nursing was just really very rare. I mean, you know, if this was a whole poetic podcast, we could just dive into the symbolism of that in itself. <laughs> but we won't. And we will just say that this poem has been printed over three million times and translated into 18 languages. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it, I guess that does give it um, a, a kind of a life of its own almost. But I want to call out, even though this poem's all about the beginning, it does not write the ending. Nicely put. And that's what I was trying to say when I said that the why is not necessarily important. What's important to the remedying it is changing your ideas. You can't change the past, obviously. But you can change your negative thoughts. And those negative thoughts are where we get stuck. Those ants. Those ants. And I don't mean the kinds that hang out with uncles or other ants. (laughs) Points for you. Points covered in cheese whiz. (laughs) Yes. Never fear, listeners. We will not be going full poetry full time. We will be back to answering listener letters on our next episode, starting with Frustrated Sugar Mama. (laughs) Good. So stay tuned for future episodes and tell your friends. I love advice from mom. Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It was produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza Bortman. Editing on this episode was actually also done by me, but is usually done by the amazing Juliet Hindley, who is working very, very hard on another show that you should be listening to as well from Michigan Public Radio called Believed. It's about the story of Larry Nassar. It's intense, but it's so good. You need to listen every week when it comes out on Mondays. And then you'll be appreciating Juliet almost as much as I do after a week of editing this show by myself. This episode is mixed and mastered by Jake Young, audio assistance by Brian Garza, and our theme music is still by my band Love Jerks, but now that band has an album out in the world. Phew. And this is my sexy voice that I got from getting a cold from partying so much in San Francisco. (laughs) 
Mom, what if I told you about using a sexy voice on a podcast where you're clearly my mom? I can't help it right now. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Can you at least call it something different? Can you call it like your mat- mature voice? Uh, my husky voice? 